right. Good morning, One Church. How's everybody doing today? Good. Good, man. It's good to see everybody here and uh, glad you joined us. My name's Joel. I'm the family pastor uh, here at One Church, and uh, we're going to keep going with our series called Stuck today, and uh, I'm just glad you joined us. We've been talking about uh, the last few weeks about people who have encountered Jesus. They were stuck in, in different elements of life, stuck in religion or stuck in relationships or today stuck in their circumstances. Um, and, and these people encountered Jesus more radically, radically changed. And uh, hey, that's, can you bring it a little bit closer to me, please? Like that's good, but I need it a little bit. You're so dumb. <laughs> is that better? It is. Thank you. Such a deep. Oh, there we go. Hug it out. <laughs> Hug it out. Y'all thought we were going to sing, didn't you? You thought that. We will again soon, much sooner than maybe you even want. So if you got your Bible, we're going to go to the book of John. Uh, and, and this is your Bible, whether it's your physical Bible, or you've got it all memorized, or it's etching your arm, or as you saw through version, if you're, if you're looking on, an, on one of the applications that has that. But go to John chapter 5, and we're going to meet a person today who was stuck in his circumstances. He was trapped because of some physical ailments that had come on his life, but more importantly, of some physical ailments that had come upon his soul, upon his spirit, upon his heart. And we learn about this gentleman in John chapter 5. We're going to throw it up on the screen, and I'm going to read it for you. John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says this, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. There are actually three feasts that Jews were obligated by religious law to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for. Three. And if they were able to get there as best they could, they needed to make it. Set aside work, set aside family, whatever they needed to do, they went back to Jerusalem. And it's important for us to notice that because this means that there were thousands, thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews who were making this pilgrimage, making their way to Jerusalem, just like Jesus was here in John 5, 1. And it says now, in verse 2, now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Bethesda literally means a, a house of outpouring or a house of grace. So this pool is named place or pool or house of grace, house of outpouring. And it was a very important physical spot because it was a place that was located in a key part of Jerusalem. And it's a place where people went for outpouring, for grace, for healing. We actually have a picture of it for you. It can show you uh, kind of what it looks like. Uh, there it is, there at the bottom. And well, you guys can see it. I can't get over there. Um, it, but you can see it right there. Um, but right there at the bottom is the, is the pools. That, that's the pool of Bethesda. And around it, they put these colonnades, they put these coverings over it. And there were people that gathered around this pool because it was thought that that was the place to go and to heal. And it says in John that it was near the sheep gate. The sheep gate is where the livestock would come and go into the city. It's where they would bring them in to be sold or shaved if they were sheep or slaughtered if they were goats or used for, uh, to sell for meals or used for sacrifices. It was a vital part of the city. And in fact, gates in, in, G in Jesus' time in, in, in ancient Jerusalem, the gates were actually where people gathered to talk about life and politics and culture. The gates were actually the social media. It was the Twitter of Jesus' time. That's where people went to talk. That's where people gathered to discuss what was happening. And right behind it, you could see the fortress Antonia. That's actually where the Roman guard were. 
And so this was a, a, a place where lots was going on. Commerce and politics, the Romans were there. And it says that there was this pool, this place of outpouring, this place of healing. And in verse 3 it says, here a great number, a great number, okay? He's not talking about 10 or 15 or 20 people. A great number signifies hundreds. So here hundreds of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. All gathered here at this gate, at this pool. Now this would have been a scene that many people, many healthy, able-bodied Jews would not have liked. Because if you were blind or lame or paralyzed in Jesus' time, it was your fault. You must have done something. And this ailment that's come upon you, it's what you deserve. That's kind of what they thought. If you were blind, it's because you sinned. If you were lame, it was because you sinned. If you were paralyzed, it was because you sinned. And you were getting exactly what you deserved. If you were blind, maybe it was something your parents did. And you were getting what you deserved. If you were lame, it's something that, that happened in your family. It's a family sin, and you're getting what you deserved. If you were paralyzed, you were getting exactly what you should. So when people, when hundreds of people, and in this case, it's at a major Jewish festival where thousands are, are converging upon the city. So there were probably hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hurting, sick, disabled people around this pool at Bethesda, gathered around. Maybe they were begging. Maybe they were holding signs need help maybe they were asking people for money maybe they were moaning and groaning because they were so physically hurt but if you were a healthy jew you would have looked at them in scorn you would have looked at them in shame how dare they look at me how dare they ask me how dare they try to get out of this situation that clearly they brought upon themselves and john is setting up this scene for us he's setting up here at the beginning of, of john chapter 5 a significant scene before us. And I hope you're grabbing onto that and grasping what's happening here. And he says there were all of these disabled people, hundreds and hundreds of them, laying around this pool, and they were waiting. They were waiting. The question is, what are they waiting for? If you look closely at your Bible, um, you'll see that, that in verse 3 it says they're laying, they're waiting, these blind, lame, paralyzed. I think they're waiting for verse 4, because if you look closely... Verse 4 does not appear in your Bible. It goes from verse 3 to verse 5. Many of us, verse 4 might be in parentheses in there, or like mine in the NIV, it's actually down at the bottom. They put it all the way at the bottom of the page. The reason this is, and this goes into, allow me to, to become a, a Bible nerd for a second, this goes to Bible translation and why some things appear in the Bible that you and I hold in our hands or on our phones or we've seen at some point versus what was back then. Back when Jesus was around and shortly after his life, they didn't have it all bound together into little leather, clean Bibles that you could buy at Lifeway or Books a Million or Walmart. They were called manuscripts. That was the exact word. And the manuscripts were, were never in humongous books like this. They were actually one or two, maybe sometimes three pages. That was big if you had three pages of manuscript. So when John wrote his gospel or Matthew wrote his gospel or, or Paul wrote Ephesians or Galatians or one of the many books he wrote, they were put in a manuscript form and they were sent out for believers to be encouraged with. And over time, these would float around and they would fall into the hands of believers and they would be taken by a missionary to a church and people would read those and they would be encouraged. And these manuscripts were vital. 
So to understand the Bible, the New Testament as you and I hold it, we need people, very smart people, much smarter than me, they're more smart like Chris, that actually go back and take these manuscripts and translate them out of the original languages, which were Greek and Aramaic. And the goal in Bible translation is to get as close to Jesus as possible. The older the manuscript, the more reliable it was. The newer the manuscript, the less reliable it was. Because the newer it was, a lot of times there were mistakes in it. See, back in Jesus' time, there were these houses called scriptoriums. And they would hire hundreds of scribes. And the scribes would just simply copy the Bible all day long. They would copy these manuscripts so more people could read it. But sometimes the larger the scriptorium, the more mistakes they'd make. They, They were sloppy in their hiring practices. They needed better human resources. If you go to my favorite place on earth, which is Walt Disney World, and you all are welcome to go with us in three weeks when we go, just mention that to my wife next time you see her. But if you go to Epcot, which is highly underrated at, at Walt Disney World, and you go to the big golf ball, which is actually called Spaceship Earth, it's a ride that talks about communication through the ages. And as you go on this ride, you actually pass, we have a picture of it, the sleeping monk. And we'll show it to you here. And, and well, you guys, you guys can see it. I, I can't get to it, but you can see it right there. That's the sleeping monk, and that's at, at the Epcot uh, on the, the Spaceship Earth ride. And it's this monk who is copying, 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 writing down these manuscripts, and he falls asleep. And I'm sure none of you ever fell asleep during a lecture in college, but, it, but I sure did. And when I would go back to read my notes, there would be lines drug all the way across the page, big drool spot next to it. I would look at the words and be like, I don't know what I'm trying to say there. It doesn't make any sense. But that's what happened. And a lot of times these newer manuscripts, these newer uh, translations that were floating around in Jesus' world, they weren't as reliable. So it's thought that verse 4 from John chapter 5 was from a newer manuscript, and it wasn't as reliable. They think that later on it was maybe added in. Somebody's like, you know what's missing here? What these people are waiting for. Remember, that's what we're talking about here. Why were these people waiting? What were they waiting for? It doesn't mean that they were trying to make up Scripture. They were just trying to make it easier for other people who read it to understand. We actually see from later in the story that what was taken out in verse 4, what what probably wasn't there to begin with, was actually referred to by this man that Jesus meets in verse 7. So if you see in your Bible, down at the bottom, it might actually be in a note or a little subscript, or it might be in parentheses. So verse 4 says this, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. These are what these blind and lame and paralyzed people were waiting for. An angel of the Lord to descend, descend and stir the waters. And then it continues, the first one in the pool after each such disturbance would be cured from whatever disease that they had. So these people were waiting waiting for the water to be stirred. They were waiting for what was thought to be this spiritual act. This was urban legend. Around the pool of Bethesda, there was this urban legend that an angel would come down and stir the water. First one in is going to be healed. It was like a spiritual lottery, a miraculous lottery. If you were lucky enough to get into that pool when the angel stirred it with his angelic finger, you were going to be cured. Honestly, I've never been to the pool at Bethesda, and I certainly wasn't there in John 5, so I don't know if that happened or not. It may very well have been spiritual. It could have also very well been natural. The pool at Bethesda was fed by natural spring water. 
And so sometimes some of those bubbles, or at least we hope they're natural bubbles, float up to the top. And they would think, all right, there's a stirring going on here. It was also said that the water kind of had a reddish tint to it from the minerals underneath the earth. So it was thought to be this magical pool. And all of these disabled people would gather around it, hoping, waiting, because the first one in, the first one in was going to be healed. Let me put it into a context that you might understand. It's Black Friday, all right, the day after Thanksgiving. And at midnight, you're waiting outside of Best Buy or Target or Walmart because they've got a crazy, ridiculous uh, TV that's been slashed. And it's way better than the one that you got at Black Friday last year, okay? So you show up and you get in line. And there's like nine of them because, heaven forbid, Walmart buy more TVs than the 10,000 people outside. And when they say go and they open those doors, you go in and you will throw fists, you will throw elbows, you will throw jail shivs into somebody's side if you got to get to that TV because you need that high-definition goodness. Now imagine... You're breaking in there, you're shiving that poor woman ahead of you to get to that TV because that TV is going to physically change your life. If you get to that TV, you're going to be healed. This is what happened around this pool every time they thought an angel was stirring the water. A mad dash as best they could. Blind people stumbling, paralyzed and lame people grabbing, clawing, Friends picking up their disabled friends and carrying them because first one in is going to be healed. This is the scene around this pool. Hundreds of people waiting for that moment when their life could change. And it's here that we meet somebody who we never learn his name and we don't actually learn what exactly is wrong with him. John just calls him an invalid. And in verse 5 it says, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. For 38 years, almost four decades, he had been an invalid. We assume from the text that, that he couldn't walk because he was laying there, and later Jesus tells him to get off of his mat and to walk. But for 38 years, this man sat on his mat, unable to move, confined to that three-by-four space, held, locked down, and while he was there, people looked at him in shame. They shook their head at him. There, while he was laying, he was stuck, judged by others, conformed to this mat, waiting by the pool, hoping, praying that there would be a chance to make it. He was stuck in his circumstances. And his circumstances were very small. It's amazing when we're stuck, how small our world can become. How physically small, how emotionally small, how mentally small, how spiritually small it can be. Because we're trapped. And many of us today here are stuck, trapped, held by the circumstances of our life. Whether we brought them on us or it was done to us. We have pain and shame and hurt. We're trapped. We're stuck. We're confined to our three-by-four mat. This man, this invalid man, stayed there, stuck to his mat, looking at that pool, hoping that maybe the next time it's stirred, it's his chance. His chance to change. His chance to be healed. His chance for his life to be different. And it says in verse 6, 
that when Jesus saw him laying there and he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Kind of a random question from Jesus. Hundreds of disabled people are laying around at this pool that supposedly has spiritual, magical qualities. And Jesus goes, do you want to get well? I don't think Jesus is asking him philosophically or theoretically or pragmatically. I don't think Jesus is trying to make this man feel foolish. Do you want to get well? Do you? Do you, little sick man? I don't think that's how Jesus is asking him. Jesus is looking at him to see the depth of his faith, to see if he truly wants to be changed. We have a pool in our neighborhood. It's not like the pool of Bethesda, but it does bubble every once in a while. Not casting fingers. I'm not saying anybody does that. It's my son, not me. And my kids love to go swimming because I have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and, and a four-year-old. They love to swim. And they love to go swimming with me because I am a big, sweaty, hairy pool toy for my kids. When we get into the pool, it's WrestleMania in the water for like nine hours. And any time I try to come up for breath, they jump on me again. The other day I was wrestling kids that didn't even belong to me. I don't even think they lived in our neighborhood. I was like, where did you come from? And why are you attacking me? But when I look at my kids and say, do you want to go to the pool? I'm not saying, oh, children, theoretically, would swimming be fun? I'm asking them, do you want to go to the pool? That's my way of saying, get your swimsuit on. Get your pool toys. Get your flippy floppies. Let's roll. Are you ready to go swimming? That's what I'm saying to them. When Jesus looks at this man, he is not trying to make him look, feel foolish. He's not asking a stupid question. Jesus is looking at this man and he says, do you want to be healed? It says Jesus is saying, are you ready? Are you ready to be changed? You've been here a long time. You've been trapped to that mat. You've been hoping upon hope that maybe you can get to that pool. Are you ready? Are you ready to change? This is what Jesus is asking of him and what he's asking of you and I today. Are you ready? Are you ready to see change come into your life? And the man answers him in verse 7. Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. He's saying I have no one. He has no friends or family. Chances are he actually has paid somebody to take him to the pool at Bethesda. But he can't pay him enough to actually walk him into the pool or get him close. He has no friends, he has no loved ones who will join him in his circumstances. He is isolated. His mat has isolated him from people who used to be close to him. He's not only stuck in his circumstances, he's stuck in lonely circumstances. And he says, and when the water is stirred, nobody can get me in, everybody rushes ahead of me. And Jesus looks at him and he sees that his faith is there. This man has expectations. He has a desire to change. And he has a hope for change. His expectation is to, to, to move off of his mat. His expectation is to get into that pool. And Jesus sees a faith that is there. His question, are you ready? Do you want to get well? Do you want to be healed? Jesus is seeing if that hope and that faith is truly there. And he sees it in this man. But the amazing thing is, is that Jesus wants to expand his expectations. The desire and the hope is there, but Jesus wants to give him a real conduit for change, which gives us our big idea for the day. 
If you grab onto anything, if you walk away with anything, walk away with this big idea. The best way to get unstuck is usually the most unexpected. This man's expectations were his mat. This man's expectations were that pool. If by chance I'm lucky enough to get there. And Jesus is saying, it's far greater than you imagined. Your hope and your faith is there, but let me expand it. It was not the mat that was going to define this man. It was not the pool that was going to change him. We see that it was Jesus who would change him. Look at verses 8 and 9. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat, and he walked. See, this man, he was focused on his mat, and he was focused on that water. And he was focused on what everybody was supposed to do. And he was focused on what was happening to others. And when Jesus came to him, he may have thought, man, I've got it. I finally have somebody who's going to get my mat a little bit closer to the water. He might have thought Jesus was going to pull him a little closer. Or even perhaps he was lucky enough that Jesus was going to pick him up and set him into the water. But Jesus doesn't fulfill the expectations that are small or what the world is doing. Jesus himself does not need a mat and he does not need a pool of water because Jesus himself is the living water that changes us and heals us. The water of life came to this man. The water of life came to this man and he said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Jesus expanded his expectations and he changed not only his life, he changed his world, he changed his reality and the man for the first time in his life was able to leave the mat and he was able to stand up, reach down, pick it up and be done. No longer was the small expectations of that mat going to define him. His life was different. He got off the mat, he picked it up and he walked away. So often when it comes to our emotional or our spiritual disability, the, the, the pains and the hurts that have defined us for too long, we're looking for that expected fix. We say, if I can just, if I can just do enough. Friends, that's religion. We learned two weeks ago that religion will never get you unstuck. It will never change you. It didn't for Nicodemus, and it won't for you or I. A lot of us go, what, what can I do? Who can I have in my life? Those are relationships. We learned last week that that's not going to change either. It's not going to make one bit of difference who you think can define you, your, your spouse or a relationship after a relationship after a relationship. That doesn't work either. Many people ask, why has this been done to me? That's looking at our circumstances. And we see today that that doesn't fix us either. Whether you're stuck in a religion or stuck in relationships or stuck in your circumstances, those are expectations that are far too small, and they don't define you. And Jesus, more importantly, can change them. No matter how painful your circumstances are, no matter how deep your circumstances are, no matter how much hurt has been brought into your life, no matter how much it's ripping your heart and your soul apart, Jesus can change them. That's what we see from the scripture today. And Jesus wants to set you free. He is asking each and every one of you today who are stuck in your circumstances, stuck in your pain, stuck in your addiction, stuck in your stuff, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? He doesn't just ask the invalid. He asks each of us here today, are 
you ready? Are you ready? Because when he peers into your life and he peers into your circumstances, he is seeing how deep is your faith? How ready are you? And out of this question comes three that we need to ponder to kind of help us define this. The first one is this. What is your mat? What is your mat? In verse 3, it says, the people by the pool were blind, lame, paralyzed. To be blind means a loss of vision. But the blindness that, that, that is happening to many of us today is not a blindness of our eyes, but a blindness of our heart, a blindness of our soul. We have lost spiritual vision. We've lost the vision of, of why we do what we do as believers, why we do what we do as Christians, why we do what we do as husbands or wives or children or brothers or sisters or friends. We're just simply tracking through the day. And we've lost vision of, of, of what it is that we were looking for to begin with. Jesus doesn't want this. He wants to heal you of your blindness. He wants to give you vision back so deeply that it reflects from Acts chapter 2 where it says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all my people. And your sons and your daughters, they will prophesy, which means they will speak boldly on behalf of God. And your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Jesus wants to return that vision to you, that spiritual vision of being part of a church that makes a difference in the community. That spiritual vision of a life that has a ministry purpose. A spiritual vision of seeing our loved ones changed by the gospel. When we're stuck, it creates a darkness that zaps our spiritual vision. It zaps the vision of our heart. And Jesus is looking at you and he's asking, do you want to see? Are you ready to see again? Because many of us are just simply making it through the day. We come and we do our things here at church because that's what we're supposed to do. I'll come, I'll fill my spot. I'll come and I'll do this or I'll do that. And we've forgotten why. We're surviving here as a church, not thriving as a church. And it's lessening the vision that you've had of a church that can move beyond the walls of this school and influence this community, influence this county, influence this state. Jesus wants to set loose your imagination and your spiritual vision for kingdom purposes. Are you ready to leave your mat of blindness and see. He's asking you. He's asking me. It also says that there were lame people there. Lame is, is not the way that we use it now. Lame in this time meant people who were in such intense pain that they didn't move. They could, but they didn't because it hurt so bad. To be lame was so painful. They had been hurting for so long that they just stopped moving altogether. Many of us here have been hurt by our circumstances, hurt by situations in our life, cut deeply by betrayal, cut deeply by adultery, cut deeply by our addictions, cut deeply by our family and our friends, and heaven forbid, cut deeply by Christians who call themselves church. And we can barely move. It is a miracle that you're here, and thank you for being here. But Jesus doesn't want that mat of lameness to define you. He wants to heal you, and he's saying, are you ready? In Psalm 23, verse 3, David, speaking of God, the shepherd says, 
the shepherd will restore my soul. Along with serving here, I serve as a hospice chaplain. And the bulk of our patients in our hospice group have dementia or late-stage Alzheimer's. Their brains are literally shutting down and dying. And the painful thing for dementia patients is a loss of reality. They know something's wrong. They know something's not right, but they can't make the connection. And it scares them and it hurts them. So what hospice chaplains like myself are trained to do is to make spiritual connections. And if they're a believer, if they have a, if they have a Christian faith, we try to help them connect using verses that they've heard. So one of the tools in my toolkit when I go into a dementia or Alzheimer's patient's room is to read the 23rd Psalm to them. And it's incredible what I see very often because I'll have these dementia patients who have no idea where they are. They definitely don't know who I am. They're scared, they're worried, or sometimes they're just blank. Their face, their eyes don't register. Because what's happening around them right now makes no sense. But when we draw back to verses that they heard when they were a child, when they were young, when we connect them, and I start reading the 23rd Psalm to them, very often they lock back in off, on me. Very often they say it with me. Because every single one of us no matter how deep our pain and our disability is, we want to be healed. We want to be restored. And to be restored means making the old new. Taking the broken and making it work again. And all of us, no matter how deep the pain, we want restoration. We want to feel again. And Jesus is asking those of you today, no matter how hurt you are, no matter how deeply you've been betrayed, no matter how much of a mess you've created in your life, Jesus is saying, that mat of lameness does not need to define you. Are you ready? Do you want to be healed? Finally, he looks to the paralyzed. The paralyzed were obviously people who had lost the use of limbs, and they were tired. When we're paralyzed, spiritually or emotionally, we can move our limbs, but we've grown numb, and our hearts and our souls don't really click anymore. When it comes to our life, we're tired, we're strung out, we're overworked, we are way underappreciated. Many of our volunteers today sometimes feel that because they're doing very thankless jobs, like setting up really early in the morning, they're tearing down in the afternoon instead of going to lunch right away. And they're tired, they're strung out, they're overworked, they're underappreciated. And today we get to throw that it's dang hot on you. It's like 157 degrees outside. Clarksville is the surface of the sun right now, all right? So not only are you tired and strung out, you're hot. And you're worn down. And you're just numb. And being here is a chore in and of itself. I don't want this, but more importantly, Jesus doesn't want this. He's looking to you that are paralyzed and you're numb. And he's saying what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 31. I will refresh the weary and I will satisfy the faint. I will. That's a promise from Jesus. That's a promise of God. I will restore you. I will help you. I will refresh you. I will help you not faint. I will be there is what God is saying to you who are numb. And because he's there, he doesn't want that mat of paralyzation to define you anymore. What is your mat? Is it a lack of vision? Is it a depth of pain? Is it a numbness to life? Realize today 
These circumstances do not have to define you. And more importantly, there is an expectation far beyond that mat, far beyond that pool. There is a great expectation that Jesus can change you. So what is your mat? And that leads to our second thought. What or who will you trust? Who will you trust? Who are you waiting for to come pull you off your mat and get you into that pool? Are you waiting for a knight in shining armor? Are you waiting for a new job? A bigger paycheck? Winning lottery numbers? The bottom of another bottle of liquor? A new medication? Are you waiting for a new partner? A new spouse? A better house? A bigger house? A faster car? Are you waiting for a break? Or a chance? Or a new start? Who are you going to trust? If you trust any of those things, you're just going to be standing on another mat. All of those things are a mat that leads to another mat that leads to another mat. And waiting and waiting and waiting stuck. This invalid man did what many of you need to do. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, who is the only one that will ever look at you and say, are you ready? Do you want to get well? Do you want your life to change? Those mats of addiction or brokenness or resentment will never ask if you want to get well. They just keep you trapped in that place. Jesus is saying to you, are you ready to change? Are you ready to get well? Do you want a different life? What's your mat? Who will you trust? And finally, what are you going to do? What will you do? Jesus looks at this man and he says, get up, exclamation point. Pick up your mat and walk. There's three things he's got to do. Get up, pick up his mat, walk. The original language here shows an intensity of passion in Jesus. Later on in the book of John, he's talking about when he returns at the end of days. And the, 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 the way that he says, get up, pick up your mat and walk, is the same way that he is going to speak to the dead who will be resurrected to life. The same intensity that Jesus will resurrect people is the same intensity that he's looking at you and I saying, are you ready? Let's do something. What are you going to do? But realize that you have a choice. This invalid man could have said, eh, I'm good in my mat. I'm totally fine waiting on my chance in the pool. And you can today. I'm totally fine in my circumstances. They suck, but at least I know what they are. This whole Jesus thing, this whole faith thing, this whole trust thing, this whole worship thing, this whole church thing, it seems like it's good for other people, but I don't know if it'll work for me. So I'll be defined by my three-by-four mat. I'll be defined waiting for that break. But we see that the invalid man didn't do this. And my challenge is that you won't either. Because it says, at once the man was cured. And he did get up, pick up his mat, and walk. You can be cured. You can be changed today. But it's going to take some effort on your side. Jesus has given the call and he will empower you. But you've got to walk this out. You're going to have to accept some responsibility. You're going to have to extend some forgiveness. You're going to have to accept some apologies. You're going to have to share some secrets that you thought you were taking to the grave. 
You're going to have to make an appointment with a counselor. You're going to have to walk into an AA meeting. You're going to have to leave the past. You're going to have to embrace the future no matter how uncertain it seems. If you went out of your circumstances, there's some responsibility on your part. And I don't know what it looks like, but I bet you do because you've been stuck in that circumstance for far too long. And Jesus is saying, not only will I heal you, not only will I give you the power to get up, I'll give you the power to walk out. So trust me. Believe in me. Have faith in me. What's your map? Who will you trust? What are you going to do? If you're stuck today in your circumstances, the scriptures give a very clear way of realizing why you're stuck, challenging you to trust Jesus and giving you the responsibility to make that next step of faith and commitment. The choice is yours. I encourage you, I challenge you, I beg of you, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Let's pray to him. Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity today to gather and to realize that our stuck circumstances do not define us. They in no way make us who we are. We were created for something far greater, far better, far more extraordinary, a relationship with you that begins with this encounter. So those of us today, God, that are stuck and tired of our circumstances, we ask that you'll come to our mat and you'll offer to us an opportunity to change because many of us are ready and we're willing to get up off that mat to pick it up and to walk. Show us what that means today because for each of us it's so very different. But for all of us it's very much the same. It starts with trusting and believing and hoping in you, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. So I ask that you will move in an extraordinary way and broaden our expectations and let us rest and hope and walk in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.